Welcome to Mickey Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggles of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Vassell. And I'm Jake Richardson. Woo, this week we have yet another wonderful new co-host, Jake Richardson. Welcome to the show, Jake. Uh, thanks for having me, Art. Yeah, man. So, uh, for diehard listeners, you may remember the sound of Jake's voice from a previous episode. Uh, back in episode 180, we had three different sets of filmmakers come on and talk about their struggles, and Jake was one of them, although he went under a different name at the time, Alan. Um, so, Jake, man, I mean, first off, thanks for coming on the show and doing this. Um, but I wanted to talk to you a little bit about like why you wanted to come on the show as Alan and not under your real name. I should have got one of those old school voice changer things to disguise my voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> I so the issue that I was mostly concerned with was uh, the perception of the cast and crew because the issue is scheduling that's really plagued my project and I don't want them to feel like they were getting thrown under the bus. I don't want, you know, any negative, right. you know, uh, feelings from them about it because the buck stops with me and I feel like I've let them down and I wanted to get some good advice to try and finish the thing so that everybody is happy with it. And it's, you know, a finished film that they can use for their real or, you know, advance their careers or just be proud that we finished it. Nice. So, yeah. So you just didn't want to like blame anybody or make it sound like you were complaining or whatever, that kind of thing. Exactly. Like it's not their fault. It's me. I'm the producer. I'm the director. I'm the one in charge. So I'm the one responsible, but I feel like I've done a bad job and I did legit want some good advice. So trying to you... go yeah. ahead. I was just wondering, like, if you felt like you got good advice from us, like did, did you, since then, like, did you do anything differently or was that helpful in the way that you're hoping it was? Or was it kind of more of the same advice other people have given you? I was kind of hoping <clears throat> there might be something a little more out of the box, maybe a listener had. But uh, the number one thing I guess we decided is that we're going to just throw down a block and maybe fly our leads out and just shoot as much as we can while we have them. Um, nice. The block. I think that was my idea. Do it in a block. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> well, I thought I probably said just shoot it all at once and get it done and kind of like plan the rest of it like you would, um, you know, a normal three week or whatever, four week feature, whatever time you have. Um, but I know that's expensive, obviously. So that's a problem. Um, but but yeah, so so you decide to do that. Have you set plans in motion? Like, are, do you have dates and things or where where are you at with it? Uh, we're in the middle of doing that uh, right now. So, like, the producer and the actors are getting together and figuring out exactly when that's going to take place. Nice. Yeah, man, it's funny because <laughs> from my perspective, and I don't know if I said this on the show, but I kind of felt like Timothy was sort of destroyed by your story. Like, he really was like, oh, my gosh, like, I can't believe it. Like, it's so terrible. And to me, it, it was just like, well... Yeah, I mean, it's a tough situation you're in. You've been working on this thing for so long, but it's not like there isn't a light at the end of the tunnel. Like, this movie will get done, you know, uh, at some point. So, I don't know. But anyways, I just hope that we were helpful and that we weren't, like, just... Uh, we didn't add more obstacles than bring them down in the end, you know? Uh, no, I, Timothy reached out to me afterward, and I felt... Yeah, I agree with your opinion. He was really kind of taken aback by it, but I felt more... 
um, hopeful after the episode. Like, I kind of got down and got with my producer and kind of hashed it out about what we're going to do. Like, we really need to put our foot down and get something going here. So, um, we have been putting the whole thing into a new program, trying to schedule it out a bit more. And then we thought our lead actor was going to be on another gig that was close by for several months and that may have fallen through so i think what we're looking at doing now is just taking that time and just flying him out on our dime um which we don't really have but do it anyway just to uh get back to filming and try and get this thing done nice awesome um so you haven't filmed anything since uh we talked to you last no, I'm uh so since everybody doesn't know, I live in Oklahoma and we're in the throes of a nice deep winter. Um oh, it's freezing wow. cold most of the time, except for these weird days where it's hot and you're like, That's a cruel tease but uh filming doesn't really take place a whole lot until spring, so we're hoping this to start, you know, as soon as it warms. Nice. Well that's a perfect segue because I, I wanna like kinda get more of a deep background on, you know, who you are and how you got started in filmmaking. And I know we talked a little bit about that on the other episode, but I think I've completely forgotten, which is good because then I can learn fresh. <laughs> um, so yeah, man, like talk to us about how you got started in filmmaking. Like when did it begin for you? And like, did you go to school? Like all that stuff. Um, I guess it really started because I grew up in a small town about two hours from here, uh, about 10,000 people. And it's very agricultural there. And that's really not my thing um so i was kind of the kid who went out and did his own thing a lot and uh we had cable way back in the day and uh which i didn't know was a big deal until i got older but anyway i used to watch late night cable a lot and we had hbo and there was this cool little thing uh called hbo first look which basically what was uh dvd making of featurettes was this before dvds were out so I used to love watching those. Yeah. I remember the first looks. Yeah, so that's where I first learned that like making films was a job. And that was kind of stuck in my head from back then. And I had the, a VCR uh, combo with a camcorder way back in the day that uh, technology was so young that the tape receiver was part of the VCR. And you had to take that off and carry it with you and plug that into the camera, which is like <laughs> as big as an EG wow. camera. Amazing. So that's how I got how I got started. And then, like in high school, uh, you know, you had to do like English projects. So we didn't want to write, so we got to shoot uh, video. So I was always the videographer because I was the only person that had a camera. So I did my class, and then the class after me, most of my friends were in. We did Macbeth for our high school English, uh, and Braveheart had just come out, so that was a big thing still then. And so we made like our own really cheesy high school kids knockoff of Braveheart. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so we were awesome. like going around finding uh, every flannel shirt we could that had the right tartan pattern to try and make it look like kilts and hold it. And uh, we had a friend who had a rock wall on his land, so it kind of looked like the Rolling Hills of oh, Scotland. Wow. Amazing. So yeah, so we shot it out there, and we had like this great pan. Uh, coming down onto the field and the wall and like 30 high school kids in flannel shirts wrapped around their waist with machetes and pitchforks. Miracle we awesome. didn't kill anybody or lose a limb. But anyway, <laughs> um, there, uh, the camera had a title creator, which was cool thing before the age of like Final Cut so you could put titles on things. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
So uh, we thought it'd be funny if we called it Steven Spielberg's Macbeth. So you see that in huge digital blocky letters as we pan down onto the big battle. Um, oh, wow. At the opening of it, which is hilarious. Nice. Um, yeah, it was Did epic. You, do you have that online at all for anyone to see anywhere? Uh, it's lost to the annals of time on a VHS somewhere. Ah, uh, boo. Probably. Boo. Yeah, I, I know. I wish, <laughs> if I ever find it, I'll definitely put it up uh, everywhere for people to see because it was number one funny but number two it was like looking back at the you know the good times when we got nice. started doing that kind of thing so then after high school did you go to college uh, for filmmaking or what was your next step uh so that was a that was kind of a struggle like i went to community college for a couple of years i started life as a fine artist and then i moved to graphic design and then i transferred colleges here which is why i moved to tulsa eventually um so I started this kind of hybrid program that was part graphic design and part film and television. And the first time I really got to do anything kind of legit was uh, TV, intro the TV class in college. And the very first day of class, our professor didn't say anything. He just sat us down and turned on the opening of Saving Private Ryan, The Beach Assault. So after, you know, however many minutes that is, uh, he turned it off and he sat down on his desk and he said, how did that make you feel? And, you know, it was, you just saw, you know, everybody get slaughtered except for the few guys who survived. And you're like, well, that's, you know, kind of intense, kind of makes you feel, you know, lots of different ways. He's like, that's the point of what we do is to make people have an emotional response. Nice. And that stuck with me really strongly. Um, and then we had a school, uh, the project, uh, the first project you had to do in that class was three minutes of video. And you could do anything you wanted, but most people made like a photo montage of their family said to It's a Wonderful Life. And uh, I was like, I, I, I don't not love my family, but I don't want to do that either. And so I turned mine into this spoof movie uh, preview. Uh, so it was a trailer. It was a trailer like for a Bond style film, but with a twist at the end that was comedic, kind of like a Mel Brooks kind of feel. Um and I won by one vote, like, best project in the class. So that's really, like, kind of what got me going. So I got put on camera all the time after that. And and that was in, in your community college? Uh, that was when I transferred here to, to a four-year. To Tulsa. Yeah. Okay. And then um, I started working at a video store, which used to be a thing uh, when oh, I was yeah. in college because we got free movies. And I used to watch tons of them, which was awesome. So I got to talk all day long or all evening uh to people about movies what they liked what they didn't like what they connected with advertising yeah that's awesome uh so that kind of got me going and then this producer came in and i chatted her up and she ran she was the upm at the largest production company in town and i told her hey i love movies i'd love to get into doing that for real and she gave me my first pa gig on a corporate video hauling all the equipment of a two-ton grip truck 200 yards up a hill in the middle of uh november it was freezing wow so and and this is all in tulsa yeah nice uh and then did you ever leave oklahoma and live elsewhere or did you just kind of have your whole life and career in oklahoma uh i've been here most of the time like uh grew i was my parents lived in california and then moved here because they thought it'd be better to raise their kids. I don't know what I did ah. to deserve that in the past life. But... <laughs> They're like, yeah, Oklahoma is so much better than California. I mean, maybe. I don't know. I've never been to Oklahoma. Um, I knew somebody from Oklahoma. They seem to like it. So the, There's pros and cons to it. Like the 
what people perceive of it. Um, that I remember my first day uh, at college here, some guy asked me where the Indians and teepees were. I'm like, uh, we don't have that. Like, it's oh wow, yeah. Like the the city itself here is a uh, second largest major metro area in the state, and there's about a million people here. Um, so it's oh wow. If if you like, I've been to California, so I if you live in like San Diego or San Francisco, L.A., and you came here, it's not as big. But you'd recognize the culture. The same, we have a big art scene. There's a lot of local music, yeah, uh, and stuff like that. And you know, you find your crowd definitely here. So then, after you did that PA job, um, did you just start PAing kind of regularly, or did you still just stay working at the video store? Like, what what happened next? Uh, so at the time, there wasn't like the most amount of work. So I stayed on part time there uh, for a long time, and then I would do whatever gigs came up for the next, I don't know, several years. Um, it's all kinds of corporate kind of stuff. And then there's a lot of commercials, mostly commercials, um, and things of that nature. And so I just kept on doing those, working my way up to different positions. And how, how long did it take you to get out of being a PA and like get to like, did, did you ever shoot or were you more on the production side? Like what, what kind of roles were you getting on these jobs? Uh, so a lot of PAing at first and then, uh, I gripped a couple of times, and then I somehow I got roped into being a producer a lot. So I was doing lots of casting, lots of locations, lots of paperwork, uh, tons of uh, UPMing kind of stuff. And uh, I directed a couple of things. Like I did like a video on how a uh, car dealer should work and perform their duties properly for all the laws <laughs> and codes you have to do. Nice. Good, good instructional action there. <laughs> yeah, so like lots of that, like you know, World Series of Poker with a shot straight down on the card table kind of thing, um, which was harder to do than you might think. Uh, we had yeah. to kind of build our own scaffold to get the camera to that angle um, and light it, getting it nice and even with some china balls and whatnot. Oh wait, and, so was that the uh, actual, actually the World Series of Poker, or was it just like no, a shot like that? No, okay. it's just like that shot that you always uh, see, okay. like of everyone's yeah, cards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Nice. That would have been uh, cool, but no. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and so just for me, cause to be honest, like your path sounds very similar to my path in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, like I went to college, um, but it was, I, I graduated with like a broadcasting major, but when I left, like I just kind of got whatever job I could and I was PAing and figuring out my way, you know, in the industry, like working on a movie here and there. And I did have a day job for, for gosh, like probably a year until I had to quit. Um, just because I worked on a feature and then like, <laughs> I just like left basically my day job. Um, and then I didn't come back to it, you know, and then I was bouncing for a little while. I can't, geez, when I, like, if I wish I can remember when I stopped bouncing, cause I was, I was like a security guard at clubs and stuff. Um, but that probably was around the same time. And then I got this one internship, um, at a production company in Berkeley. And then like that, I think from then on, I only worked in video production, you know, um, but it's interesting that like you're in a different, completely different market, completely different town, but it's like, yeah, working on like a corporate video as a PA, it's like sort of like how you got started and how I got started. It's like very similar, you know, but I'm sure it's also different, like probably a lot less work where you are, a lot more work here, that kind of thing. Um, but one of the questions I had was like, what, 
do you know like this the budgets relatively of like what these job or like not relatively but roughly like roughly what the budgets are for the jobs you're working are they are they like ten thousand dollar videos like five thousand dollar videos fifty thousand dollar videos like do you have a, a sense of like what those projects were uh probably all the above like probably everything uh, uh the whole gamut so stuff where it's like you know, a couple of guys are getting together on the weekend and trying to do this thing all the way up to, you know, people coming from New York or L.A. And, uh, yeah. you know, a big corporate or, uh, you know, a major, you know, name brand is shooting something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when I first got started, the stuff that I was working on was probably predominantly between, like, I don't know, like the 10, 20 at the low end and then like maybe a hundred at the high end, I think at, at the company that I was working at, like that was sort of like the main sort of size, but then I'd work on a commercial that was like multi-million dollars or a million dollar commercial or something, you know, cause it's like a crew of like 120 or whatever, but I would just PA on those things, you know? So I definitely got my taste of the bigger productions, but it was mostly smaller stuff at first, you know? Um, so now just kind of speeding forward, like, what do you do now? Are you, do you still have like a part-time job that you work, um, and then fill in other work in between? Or are you doing video production full time? Uh, I was doing it full time for a while for one single company. They pretty much took up all my time and then they kind of folded. So now I've been just been doing, you know, whatever comes up here or there as it comes along. Cause I wanted to take the time that it afforded me now that, uh, that, gig went away to just work on the film because i couldn't when i was doing that because it just ate up all my time yeah so um if something comes up i've done a you know a few odd projects here and there but i tried to save up when i was doing that just so i could do the film and only the film and focus 100 percent on it for a while yeah yeah and so the kind of jobs that you do here and there are they all video related or are you having to do other things to get by in your in your area I've only done <clears throat> video for mm, last several years now. Okay, that's awesome. So there is enough then, I mean, to survive, basically. And we're, like, there's enough of a video production market in Tulsa, basically, right, uh, for you? Yeah, to... there there's several production companies. Like, we get everything from, you know, regional, local commercials all the way up to <clears throat> there being national uh, spots that come in once in a while to use certain facilities or certain resources that are are here um if if you need to find a particular piece of equipment it's here if you need to find you know whatever the resource is it's probably here we may only have one or two of it or we may not have like the latest and greatest but if you need something in a from a production standpoint you can find it and and is Oklahoma City also its own separate big market? Like, or would you say it's smaller, bigger than Tulsa? Or, you know, I'm completely, I don't know anything about Oklahoma. It's just besides Oklahoma City and that Tulsa is a place. So, you know, <laughs> so, excuse my Tulsa, ignorance. It's cool. Tulsa and Oklahoma City are kind of like brothers who fight. So they're the bigger brother. The film commission is uh, there. All the films that come in from our rebate program primarily shoot there. They have a good crew base there. Uh, they get to work on these projects, you know, pretty frequently, keep them going through the year. And then Tulsa has a, some films, but a whole lot more commercial work. Um, uh, interesting. There is a lot of back and forth. So a lot of people from here work there and people from there will work here on, you know, several gigs a year too. So that's not uncommon. Like I know most of the people there, if I don't know them personally, we're, 
I'm certainly friends on social media. I know, yeah, you know what they're on. So, and then how far apart are the two cities? Are they like a couple hours? Like, it's four uh, hours? it's about two hours with good traffic. Okay, so not so bad. Yeah, so that's like roughly, yeah, a little bit farther than San Diego. Not San Diego, San Jose, I guess, from here because San Jose is like an hour and a half. Um, you know, can be worse with bad traffic, obviously. Um, but uh, but what, have you ever thought about going to Oklahoma City to work on some of the the bigger movies or, and on all that, or did you always just feel like, oh no, I like Tulsa, this is where I where I want to be? I'm not opposed, but like you know, a two-hour commute's not really a thing, and they usually only local hire. So if you don't live there, they're not putting you up, uh, they're not paying your travel or your hotel. So yeah, that, and, you, and you never thought about moving. Um, from an aesthetic point of view and getting around like Oklahoma city is just not fun to drive at all compared to Tulsa. Tulsa is laid out in uh. a grid and it's easy to get from place to place. And everything there is access roads off highways that are jam packed. And it's just, ugh, it's, it's a nightmare compared to what it is here. And aesthetically, I think Tulsa is a very beautiful city. Like it was named the most beautiful city in America at mm. one point. Um, in some kind of national poll or article or something, uh, which is one of their claims to fame. And we also have a lot of deco architecture, which uh, is on like all the national historic registers. And I really oh, nice. dig that. Um, I'm trying to incorporate it in my film as much as I can. But a lot of people come here for that to get like period pieces. Uh, a lot of films shoot here for like, you know, the 1910s through the 40s. Oh, yeah. Nice. And so, like, we kind of talked about, um, you know, sort of what the landscape looks like and the market that you're in. Like, are there any issues that you face, like being in that size market? Uh, I think lack of uh, availability to funds and availability to resources sometimes. So, like I said, there might be, you know, if you want a certain piece of equipment, one exists, but it's probably booked on whatever the big project is at the time. So, you getting a hold of it is unlikely. So. Um, and the other thing is, I guess there may be less people who do a particular job or have a particular skill set. So like if you need someone who's right. you know a good editor or someone to do your color correction, there's not a whole lot of those people. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I feel like people complain about that here too. Like lack of, <laughs> lack of anyone good at doing it in, in, in whatever, you know, department, you know, uh, although there are a lot of you know, editors, shooters, all kinds of stuff here. But I mean, what, what has been happening lately is the town's been pretty busy um, between Oakland and San Francisco. So a lot of the really good people are booked for a while or they get sucked up into Facebook or to Google. Like I got a friend, a couple of friends, um, you know, who just have full-time jobs at either Facebook or Google. And that's all they do now. You know, like they used to be freelancers and now they just in-house because like they have great salaries and uh you know great benefits you know and... yeah I, th I think the thing here is that people move on to a bigger market so like a lot of people oh, leave okay. for um atlanta or austin or north carolina or something like that from here as their next step because how far away are you guys from atlanta or austin are they are they like eight hours ten hours like help me out here uh, it's probably 10 or 12 to get to either one. Um, okay. Austin's not so bad. Atlanta's a bit of a drive, but it's not like impossible if you, you know, if you got a gig, Hey, you know, go shoot a Marvel film. Yeah. 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 Have you ever thought about leaving? Like, was it ever a part of your plan to like go to like, you know, Los Angeles, New York, Atlanta, Austin, any of these places? 
I want to do that after I have a film or two under my belt so I don't, don't just show up and I'm like, hey, here I am, like, you know, <laughs> with nothing to show for myself. Right, right. And do you mind me asking how old you are? Man, um... <laughs> Hey, I'm I'm about to be 34, so I'll throw that out there. I would still um, somebody to go back to 34. I hit the big okay. 4-0 uh, this past oh, birthday. Oh, wow. Congratulations, man. You're like um, in the same uh, boat as Timothy, um, you know, previous co-host. He just turned 40, I think, last year. Yeah, I always um, felt uh, a kindred spirit with him talking about things from, you know, <laughs> back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've been having this whole thing about age late, lately um, and just sort of in the last couple of years, I guess, because when I was younger, I used to think like, oh, man, like you got to strike when you're young. Like you got to be like a young, hot filmmaker, like make your first feature before you're 30, blah, 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 blah. And then at one point I just let go of that. And now my whole mind mindset is completely different. It's more like. You know, I look at being in my mid 30s as being in the start of my career in the very beginning, you know, because especially as a director or a filmmaker, you can work until you're like 85 or 90, you know, like it doesn't really like you don't have like an age limit on it. So like if you think of it in that terms, like you're not even, you're like at the very beginning part when you're in your like, you know, late 30s, early 40s. And then I read, so I don't remember where I got this information and, and Timothy didn't like this when I, I think I brought this up like a hundred episodes ago, but there was some, some stat I read where like, it's like 90% or the majority of filmmakers make their first film after they're 40 or in their 40s is when they direct their first feature. And I think he discounted that and said that that wasn't true. I don't remember where I got that info from. <laughs> I just remember, I, re but, I remember seeing an article recently. I think it was a guy who ran into like Wong Kar Wai or someone of that kind of, you know, independent film fame who asked him how old he was because he was working on his first film and he was getting close to 40. He said, well, you better hurry up. And then I think of like uh, Spielberg, who was like what twenty three or so when he made oh, his first much, film. Yeah, well, he was. Yeah, that's stupid. I mean, he was like working in the studio system when he was like in his teens, I think. Right, and like, of he course, was like the youngest director to ever like work in a studio or something. Yeah, of course. Like of course, he's an anomaly and he's, he's yeah. an outlier. But I still think I won't ever have the output of films that he did because I started so late. Well, maybe thing. not, but you know, I mean, I feel like if you if you made one movie a year, like starting when you're 50, for for 30 years, that's 30 movies. That's pretty good. <laughs> you know? Well, at my at my current output, that's not going to happen. But uh, <laughs> current output, yeah, but that doesn't mean you um, can't change that. One of my favorite uh, directors is Ridley Scott, and he made his first film at 40. So I always kind of try and model uh, myself after him. So yeah uh from a standpoint of you know what my film output could be and then like there's you know clint eastwood who's how old and he's still cranking out oscar oh, yeah. level films so yeah he makes like a movie a year that guy that's like i mean if i could be making movies when i'm his age like even if it was like every two two years i made a movie i would be like that would be like amazing it wouldn't even matter if they made money it's just like as long as i could keep making them so whatever way like totally cool <laughs> yeah it's not like he's making like weird things like uh you know that no one pays attention to like he's making major releases with a-list actors that are you know making budget making their money back and whatnot yeah did you see the mule his latest movie that's on my list i got a long list of stuff i need to catch up on and see it's so funny because like the advertising for that movie is just his face and just clint eastwood uh the mule and i think that's it and then I watch that movie, and it's like every major star is in that movie. <laughs> it's like Bradley Cooper and Michael Pena, and uh, I think Lawrence 
Fishburne maybe is in it. There's it's just like every named actor that you could think of is in that movie that who's kind of hot right now. And I just thought it was so hilarious that like he didn't use any other names in the advertising. <laughs> I don't know if it's him so much or the studio felt that way about right, right, maybe yeah, gonna, yeah. You know, the marketing department is always doing strange things. I feel. I I think that it's like you know. Like if I if I like I was gonna see it anyways, and I was excited to see it. But like if I knew that the Bradley Cooper and Michael Pena and whoever else was in that movie, I would have been like, even more like yes, all in. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, he and Bradley are like best buds now after American Sniper. Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, a lot of things that I've also been thinking about too, going back to the age thing lately, is like goals as a filmmaker and like what it means to uh, go after those goals or what they. I don't know, like how you wrote, like put, your, like put your, you know, navigate your career around your goals. I guess is a good way to say it. Um, so, like for you, like when did you make your first like narrative project? Was it like, you know, I, I know you talked about the stuff that you did in college and high school, like those joke videos. But like, when did you put together your first like short where you're like, this is the short that's gonna like showcase who I am as as a filmmaker. Um, after, uh, college and I've been doing the PA thing for a while, I kind of got in, there was a group of novice filmmakers here who their goal was to educate everybody and get everybody experience on what it is to make a film. And they were very prolific with making shorts. So I worked with them a ton and then, um, I met some guys there and we kind of formed our own little triumvirate i guess and we did a lot of each other's projects somebody would write something we go out and shoot it and edit and direct and do the whole thing as kind of a you know each would take turns doing each particular role um and we did that for a little while and we started working on an animated show we wanted to get picked up at like fox or cartoon network or something and that took a couple of years out of our making shorts kind of a period but we always talked about um, propaganda films, which was uh, uh-huh. like David Fincher and Michael Bay and like F. Gary Gray and some guys like that. And they were making commercials and music videos in like the early and mid 90s before they started getting into feature films. And their thing was, well, if one of them gets hired on a major project, then we hire the other guys to work on it in the other roles. So we kind of were trying to do our own version of that for a while. And so I wrote my feature as kind of a thing to start, uh, you know, getting us into a bigger project. And then, um, unfortunately, our group kind of dispersed. One guy got married and the other one's no longer with us. So I don't have them around in the same way. Yeah, so I, I had to, yeah, so I kind of had to form a new, you know, group of relationships with other filmmakers to try and do this thing. So it's been going a while for, uh, you know, longer, like, to think about it but in starts and stops but that was the original incarnation is to do a project that would get us to the next level and and you guys did multiple short films as this you know this group this community of filmmakers yeah so me and the three guys or the two guys the three of us and then me with the group did lots and lots of shorts and did you direct some of them or all of them or like and how many of those do you feel like are ones where you're like proud of and you like show those to people to like kind of showcase who you are as a filmmaker? Uh, there's one that um, we made. It was a class project for one of the guy's girlfriends, but it was this really poignant and like super deep emotional like poem to her father who had recently passed away. 
and it was in Italian because she was learning Italian. And uh, but we went out and shot like the most beautiful scenery, like this little girl playing who was like an allegory for the the director of it. But I was uh, on a camera crew on that, and I got to do some the most beautiful things I've ever shot uh, on that. And I would show people that. Uh, not because I wrote it or directed it, but because like we all put all of our best work into it. It was really amazing. Nice. That's awesome. So, and, and this started what, like in your mid twenties till now, basically roughly, or was this a little bit later? Uh, so the very first time I ever even thought about making my own feature, I was 25 or somewhere around there. Okay. Nice. So, you know, then, you know, you sit around thinking about it and then you got to write it and then many, many drafts and then trying to get a casting crew together and so on and so forth. So, so then when did you just, this is probably getting into <clears throat> territory that we covered in the last episode, but like, when did you start actually making the feature that you're working on now? Was this like probably five years ago or longer? Like when, when did that process start? Uh, longer, definitely wow. longer. Yeah. So we, the original incarnation of it was way back when like the DVX was the hot new thing. So it was like, Oh yeah, 24 P this will make look like a real movie. Um, and then, uh, so wow. I didn't have any directing credits to the larger film community. So trying to get actors was rough. Um, that took a while. The shorts that you had didn't really help you, uh, impress the actors, you know, and get them excited about working with you. Uh, most of the actors that we use on that stuff were in the group as a whole. So like it was just a rotation of putting different people in different parts. And I needed some people for parts that were outside what we usually film. Right. Right. What I mean is like what uh, some of my friends have done is like when you have a short that you're proud of or whatever, and then you show that to a new actor who you want to work with, like sometimes that shorts enough to get them excited, you know, to be like, okay, like maybe this person doesn't have any credits, but they did this cool thing that I like. So I'll, I'll trust them, you know? I would, I, honestly, I wasn't confident enough in anything I'd done then oh, to, okay. to use it that way. So I, yeah, I would yeah, rather yeah. people have a, a blank slate when they think about what I could do <laughs> than see something and know what I could do. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, and so when did you actually start shooting it? Was it, was it back with that DVX 100? Was that the first camera that you guys shot on for this project or was it not until much later that you guys actually started shooting once you had written the script and all that? Uh, like the second model that had come out, I think that's the first thing we filmed on. And then we upgraded wow. to like the HD version of it when that was the big thing. And then like the DSLR revolution happened so that uh, we were going to shoot this on a couple of 5Ds for a while. And then the DP who I have on now... Uh, we were going to do, that was our original conversation. And he's like, you know, I kind of want to shoot this on, on red. So we've upgraded from DVX to red through the course. So that tells you how long it's been ongoing. Wow. And so what do you do with that? Like, are the, is there some footage that's going to be in the final movie that's shot on those older cameras? Or did you reshoot everything on the red once you decided you were going to do red? Uh, we changed actors several times for various reasons. Um, oh, right, so, right. So this gets into that part. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it pretty much was just a page one reshoot uh, once we started again this most recent time. Um, I don't remember people will recall from the last one, but we had uh, some uh, issues 
would start and something would happen. And the biggest one is that we had an actor uh, pass away before yeah. his last scene. So that kind of messed it up for a long time. So after super, super unfortunate. Yeah. So after that regrouping period, um, I was getting ready to start on it. And I started working uh, a whole lot doing uh, producing some commercials for a particular company that took up all my time. And then after that, um, I had an ill family member that took up a lot of time after we kind of oh, started wow. a little bit. So those things get just kind of stretched out when we were actually shooting. Um, and so now we're back at it and we filmed uh, some and then uh, had another delay. And then so now we're trying to get you know back on track and finish it. And then over the years, has the script changed too from version to version? Like, have you been constantly rewriting it or is it kind of like pretty much the same ver script as it was like 10 years ago? Oh, no. The, there are a few things that are probably close to the same, but it's changed a lot. I I have a rough average of, I think I'm on around 40, 41 drafts um, from the very, very first time I ever sit down and type it out and to the one that we're shooting right now. Wow. And then what, um, like, so like the goal when you first made the feature was to get something that you'd be proud of. And then was the goal to sell it? Was the goal to like get into festivals and like sort of be a showpiece for you so you could like, you know, like get more work or like what was the goal behind the feature in the beginning? And, and, and what is the goal now? Is it the same? Has it changed? Uh, so originally it was to be a calling card so I could have something to show that I was proud to show to start trying to find budget for a bigger film. And so it's basically still that. So I need something to showcase my work, you know, my level of talent. Um, one of the things I think that has benefited uh, the film a lot and myself in that it took so long to do this is I'm a much better director now than I would have been way back when we first started this. The film will be much more mature realized crisp sharp um hopefully yeah. deeper and more emotional um more intelligent just you know all the way around made in a much more uh professional fashion than it would have been when we first started nice so then what other like so like let's say like you finish this movie you have it edited you then what you're gonna submit it to film festivals like what is your plan for when it's done uh, so I want to do, I call it the three prong approach. I want to do the film festival route. I want to take it to markets as well. And then I want to try and get, you know, whatever kind of distribution we can for it. If it makes money, that's awesome. If it doesn't make money, great. I got something to show, but it's, you know, a stepping stone to do the next one. That'll be bigger. And hopefully the one after that, and hopefully that starts to build a momentum and career and, you know, a few, a few pictures down the way, maybe I'm finally getting on something that's like a small, you know, studio thing or it's acquired by a studio uh you know and work my way up through you know the ranks so i can be making a studio pictures eventually like i want to do big budget summer action movies is my ultimate goal <laughs> nice so when you think about that being the goal and the plan like you know you say you want to make this movie and another movie and then once you have a couple movies under your but under your belt then you might move to like los angeles or new york and then take the next step and just try to grow from there um, have you thought about just as soon as this movie is done, just moving to Los Angeles with this movie, like even in post-production and then like trying to 
work it out there and like finish the movie there. And then, you know, what, what people have been telling me a lot is that when you're in Los Angeles, like you just start to meet a lot of people who can help you, like not necessarily just get the move, get it, getting a movie made, but like getting it into the right festival because a lot of the festival people are all LA based, you know? And so then all of a sudden it's like you have a contact at Sundance or you have a contact here and then someone's passing your movie to this person. And, you know, you just sort of, ramp up that way rather than doing everything in your own market and then just like, you know, maybe getting into a big festival, but maybe not. And then coming to Los Angeles and starting the connections at that point. So right. the, the film festival plan, I've been doing a lot of research and trying to get recommendations and reading things. Uh, I want to send it to all the ones where there are actually industry professionals who would have a chance to see it or hear about it. So targeting all the ones that are big in LA and, like the other majors, like I know there's not a whole lot of chance of getting into most of the major ones, but you know, trying at least. And then all of like the second tier festivals around Los Angeles. Um, my two lead actors live there now, so hopefully I'll be able to do a lot of attendance with them and you know, meet and greet and marketing, you know, doing the, the right. rounds and whatnot. Uh, and you know, when that starts, hopefully, if we get into some, then I'd definitely come out to LA for a while and you know, tour with the film as it's screening and try and make some contacts that way. And like, what, what is, and, 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 you know, like I have my own connection to the Bay area and reasons why I don't leave and why I haven't moved to Los Angeles, but like, is there something that's keeping you in Tulsa that like is why you feel like you're not ready to move to Los Angeles or is it mainly just because you don't want to go into that town empty handed? Uh, well, one, I want to have the film finished. Uh, and everything, all the structure, the infrastructure for the film is here. So I got to do that part first. After that, I'm if, if something calls me and you know I get the opportunity, I go. If the next film doesn't take off, then I might just go. Um, the next film I'm planning to do after this one, at this stage, uh, is written to take place here to make use of people I know, the crew I know, the locations, and be a story that's from here, which I feel a lot of first films that make it well are directors and writers who are doing things that are about where they're from, and this the film I'm doing now is not that, but this next one might be. Um, and also we have a good rebate program that it's one of the highest in the nation, so I want to take advantage of that for the financing of the next one. But after that, I'm good to go. Like, if somebody right. if somebody offers me an opportunity to go somewhere else, I'm there. I'm not stuck here beholden for anything other than I want to finish this film. And after that, I'm I'm good to go. Yeah, nice. Uh, and then what was the question? Oh yeah, for your second movie, do you already have a budget in mind that you know you'll need to get this done? And is it already written and all that and ready to, to go basically? Um. So I saw this interview with. Christopher Nolan, he was talking about his experience after his first film and he said the best thing he could have possibly done for himself at that point is have his next one ready. So I'm trying, I'm doing the research now to start writing and I hope to do that when I get to the editing process on this one. I like to just sit down in the days where we're not in the editing booth and crank out that, uh, you know, first draft so it's ready when the film is done and people, you know, come up after you know, screening or whatever and say, hey, what are you doing next? I can say, this is it. Nice. There you go. I mean, I've been thinking about that too, just like having another project ready for when the alternate has been shot so I can just be ready to jump right back into the next one if if the opportunity presents itself. 
Yeah, they always say strike while you're hot. So hopefully, A, I get hot, and B, right. um, you know, it. If this film is a springboard to do the next one because it will need yeah. a little bit of a budget. Um, uh, you ask how much? I'm low hundred thousands. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's that's doable. I mean, especially if you have a feature that people like that you are, you know, that's in festivals or whatever. I feel like getting a movie made for under a hundred thousand dollars isn't impossible. Uh, and even like, it seems like some of the people I've been talking to and like my producer, they're like telling me that movies that are a hundred thousand dollars or under are, are much more likely to make money, you know? So like, it's kind of attractive to investors to, you know, make a movie at that number. But the only challenge is like, it's hard to make a movie <laughs> for that little, especially if it's sci-fi or action or something. You know. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> the next one is um, uh, more like a grounded sci-fi. So there's a be a few effects, but most of it is, you know, landscapes and regular people. There's not like crazy, you know, lasers in space and ships and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that, that's sort of like the alternate. It's sort of grounded sci-fi, I, I, I would say, uh, although it's probably a little bit more out there. But uh, but I don't know. It's It's not like tons and tons of special effects but it's just enough to make it a little bit challenging but uh and I, i'm pre- i'm confident we're gonna do a good job especially now we i don't know if i told talked about this on the podcast i probably did but we shot a teaser trailer in september for it and like that's edited together now and i want to see it i've seen i saw the making the behind the scenes photos of it right. but i want to see the actual i'm thing. not releasing yeah. it yet i'm keeping it on under wraps um just because you know, when if we do a crowdfunding campaign, which seems likely, like the the teaser trailer will be a big part of the crowdfunding campaign, and I don't want to release it before then for people to see it. I kind of want to keep that under wraps, you know. And that's logical. Um, yeah, and then also we're just using it to like send to investors directly. So we're just I'm just trying to find people either on Slated or people that I know and just like send them the teaser trailer and be like, hey, check this out. Like we made this really cool thing. We're raising money. Let us know if you want to hear more about the project and. You know, I used to send like a lot of those emails and like never hear anything. And now I'm starting to send those emails with the trailer and then getting some responses. So, I mean, it's not like everybody's responding, but, you know, it's enough where it's like encouraging. Like, oh, yeah, people are digging this. This is good. A proof of concept. So people have an idea what you're trying to do. Yeah, it's it's huge, man. I I, uh, I kind of fought against it for a while and then, you know, eventually came around and it, it's definitely made a big difference in people's excitement levels you know for sure i'm excited to see it nice um so i don't know man do you have any questions for me anything that you want to talk about i mean all these co-host episodes i've been doing have been kind of like me interviewing the co-hosts but i don't know man you got anything that you want to ask me or questions or uh so we were just talking about the alternate so i think uh it'd be a good time for you to uh, give us a little update where you are what you're talking <laughs> about with your producer what's going on yeah, you know, where you are in the process of raising your funds, where you are in the process of starting to crew up and all those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. So we have a nice chunk of our budget raised. I don't want to say how much because I'm trying to keep the budget stuff sort of under wraps uh, just because, you know, for um, yeah distributors and things, it's better if you just don't really talk about it. I'll just say that it's, you know, under half a million, basically. Um, but we have a big, uh, amount of that raise, like, you know, a good percentage. And, uh, right now we're basically just trying to get the rest of it together as much as we can. And we're, our new plan 
is to like we still have our same target budget that we've had for a while we're still aiming for those numbers uh, but if we don't get there then we're just going to shoot it for uh, whatever we have uh, at, at the end of the year which was like basically my plan last year but then I didn't really get enough uh, in time to do that but now I I have more that I because like I raised some more at the end of last year and like with that last little bit like I think I have enough to like really get it done and so that's sort of the the current plan uh, I've got one budget put together I'm making another one like a kind of a, a stripped down lower budget that we're gonna get really scrappy for that lower level budget and then um, other things that have happened I've taught I've reached out to a couple more casting directors and I got a list of actors from a casting director that. Uh, she felt were approachable um, at a, a certain budget limit, like kind of, you know, under the half million dollar uh, budget. And uh, yeah, there's some really great names on there, some really cool people. So we're just trying to do they like do they maintain lists of people who are in like this is the range of projects they'll take and this is the people who will take the next set. I think so. Um, I think the way that it works is they read the script um, as the casting director and then they, they have their database, you know, of actors and I'm sure where they are and how much um, they're willing to take probably changes all the time, you know, depending on how hot they are or, you know, what kind of project they were looking for at at the moment. And this, and this woman seemed like she had a very intimate like knowledge and understanding of what actors were looking for work at the, at any given time, you know? Uh, so I really trust that her list is strong and that she, you know, she, the names she put on there are like gettable, you know, um, is there anyone you're, is there anybody you're looking at that would be approachable to play against their usual type? They might dip down in the budget level. Yeah, definitely. Um, and since, you know, with the alternate, it's it, the two leads are two separate characters. I feel like that's also rather enticing uh, for any, any any actor, really. So I think that might help us. So you, th- you think that getting to play two totally different personality types will be a big draw for your lead? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's the problem cool. is that there's a lot of other uh, movies out there that have this kind of thing going on, you know, where they're playing different versions of the same character, you know. And so we actually reached out to an actor recently, and uh, they, they said that exact thing. They're like, oh, well, you know, I don't know if they'd, they'd really be into this because they just did a movie that's similar, you know, not similar to my movie necessarily, but <clears throat> where they played multiple versions of the same character, you know. Um, but anyways, I mean... I think it's still a really good plan, and I think that we'll be able to get some really solid talent that way. But we just need to get the money that we need for production together in order to start making offers. So that's like really what I want to do is start making offers to actors. But I just need to hustle to get that last bit together to to make it happen. You know. Um, so are you doing other kinds of prep while you're working on those other aspects? Like, are you doing shot lists? Like you said, you're doing two different versions, like the scrappy version and the full budget version. Are you working right. out the details for what those two things would be in each aspect of production? Well, not really. I mean, I actually have been missing, uh, meeting with my cinematographer. We started uh, going through the script and kind of like um, just sort of taking notes, not, not really shot listing, so we don't really have locations yet, but sort of just blocking out the script and talking about the types of shots and the approach for each scene. So we've, we've gotten through like a quarter of the script so far and we're going to keep just try to do that like as, as often as we both have time. Uh, but I'm not going to change the approach 
uh, from budget to budget. I still want to do the same approach for every scene, no matter what amount of money we have. It's just whether or not we're going to be able to get a, a camera on a crane 50 feet in the air in the low budget version is going to be like, we'll probably have to cut that shot. Right. You know, um, cause it's just not going to happen on the lower budget. Uh, but I think the general like idea and concept and approach to the scene will stay the same. We'll just figure out different ways to achieve it. Um, you know, with, with less or more equipment, you know, depending on what budget we, we end up on. I got to figure um, out where you're going to put the money if you get it. Yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, I think the thing that will change the most um, with the different budgets will be the talent, most likely. Um, I think, you know, and maybe like the location and then, you know, maybe the size of the crew, like those things will change. But I think for the most part, the approach will stay the same. It'll just be like, you know, different level actors, you know, because I mean, we want to really put you know, a good amount of our budget towards, towards the talent, which is funny. Cause I've heard from other filmmakers that they just don't believe in doing that, that they're like, you know, if, if you're making a movie for a hundred thousand dollars, like it's, everyone's getting the same amount. <laughs> like, I don't care what actor it is. Like, you know, everyone's going to get the, um, you know, whatever, one fifty, two hundred dollars a day, whatever it is, you know, uh, the, the MFN, the most favored nations rate basically. Uh, but then I talked to my producer and he was like, you know, some actors might do that, but unless you have a personal connection, like most actors probably won't do that, you know? Um, so <laughs> yeah, he was just like, we can try that, but here's what I recommend. So I'm basically just going to do whatever my producer says based off the, what budget we have. I've heard know? that approach with crew, but I've never heard it with cast before. Yeah. 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 Uh, Liz Manishow is another co-host of the show. That's like one of her deals is, uh, you know, if you're going to have actors, if you're asking your crew to work for, for low rates, you should be asking your actors to look, work for low rates too. You know, it just, it only seems fair. Um, which I like that sentiment. I just don't feel like it's realistic always, you know? Yeah. It's because it's, it's just so against the way the whole industry works in, in a lot of sense, in, 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 you know, whatever. So have you been um, doing any of the creative stuff? Like have you put together like a mood board or a set of examples for, you know, what you want the portal to look like or the, the shot style of the cinematography? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have a lookbook that I've been working on for a while. I think I even attached it to an earlier episode. Um, I can't remember if I attached the new version or not. I did a, I did a really revamped version recently. That's super awesome. Um, but it's got a lot of that style um, and some of the mood stuff in there. But it's you know, it's do you kind have some? Of, do you have some particular films you're thinking about drawing inspiration from, like something from uh, you know back in the day with the same feel or uh, yeah. subject matter? Well, I've been referencing like um, scanners for a long time. Oh yeah, um, which is a big a big film for me that I really like. Um, Dead Zone is also one that I really enjoy a lot. Like I think the style and the look of those two films are is just amazing, and I know it's both Cronenberg, um, I think, but uh, yeah, they're just great, and I really enjoy the feel and the look of those movies. I like um, I like those references; those are good. Yeah, and then you know I've also done some more modern references like Enemy which is a Jake Gyllenhaal movie, which is um, kind of similar to my story in a way, but like quite different, but, but a little bit similar. Oh, I just and added then, that to my queue the other day. Yeah. 
that's a good movie, and the and the style and the look of that one's really sharp too, and really interesting. And I really like it. It's like Denny Villeneuve's uh, first uh, movie that he made. Um, although I think it came after came out after Prisoners, but he was the one he shot first. Um, I don't know if that was his first ever movie. I think maybe it was the second, but it was the first one that I'd ever seen of his that was was really good. Um, and then Ex Machina is also a reference I use. Um, but I, I do really like those older, like Scanners, Dead Zone. I mean, um, The Thing is a big one for me, but I mean, that's much more action-y than my movie is, you know? So The original know thing? Really, yeah, the Jordan Carpenter one. Well, yeah, I, I say original, but yeah, the, the Carpenter. Yeah, yeah, because it, it's funny, because <laughs> like, that was a remake of another older movie. Yeah, the old uh, Howard Hawks film, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so those are some of the style references. Like, some of the other things I've been doing is I've worked on... Um, a uh, a schedule that I'm working on right now. So I've broken down the movie into uh, like a strip board, basically. And so like here's the scenes that we're going to shoot in, on any given day in this order, you know. And since we have um, like lots of logistical things to consider, like there's two Jakes and two Chris's, you know, the two main characters, and they have to interact. And for half the movie, one of the Jakes has a beard, so we kind of have to shoot all the beard stuff um, first. And then once all the beard stuff is done, then we can go and shoot the rest of the movie. And so that sort of made scheduling difficult because you have to shoot like in Jake's basement office and then you have to shoot in all Jake's basement office. And then you have to shoot um, with, with beard and without beard. Right. And so <laughs> you have to like schedule the whole movie where it's like, okay, the office, um, the house, the other version of the office the other version of the house and then you know then he shaves and then you're back to the you know the office again and then you're back to the house and then you're back to the other version of the office and then you end at the other version of the house or just i mean i don't think that's exactly how i have it broken down but you get the idea right so it sort of gets a little muddled in like where you can schedule certain scenes and you have to do things out of order for that reason my heart goes Um, out to your scripty yeah yeah (laughs) yeah and, and you know and then like there's also scenes where the two Jakes are interacting. So then we're going to have to shoot, um, you know, the coverage a certain way and then like have body doubles. And then when we do the, the, the shots where they're actually interacting, like we're going to have to figure out how we're going to do that with visual effects and screen face mapping onto, um, a body double and all that. I, I don't know. I mean, I really need to get a good visual effects supervisor to help me with that stuff. Have you watched um, the special features on how they did that for Social Network, where they did two brothers and they had one guy's face plastered onto the other guy? Um, I watched a little bit of that, um, but not much. I watched some more uh, behind the scenes on Enemy, where they where they did like similar stuff, and yeah. they had like him talking to a uh, a tennis ball on a C stand for a lot of it, <laughs> <laughs> and then they would just like put his body in. I think what they did with. Um, social network is that they had another actor of the same physical size. So they had someone who you actually talk with and interact with. So it made it a whole lot more believable. And then of, of course, you know, being a Fincher level movie, they had the best CG, but I thought that was the best version of two, uh, the same person being played by one interacting in one yeah. scene that I've seen. Yeah. It was pretty amazing. Um, <clears throat> so like, 
you know, as a co-host of Making Movies is Hard, like what is something that you would bring to the show, um, you know, in future episodes? Like what is something that we haven't been doing that you'd like to talk about that could be different, like a, like a feature or like a different type of topic or, or anything that you thought think would, you know, make the show more exciting? Uh, okay. So the thing that really hooked me into the show originally is that you and Timothy were very open with your feelings. And I think the aspect of the making films that people don't talk about the most is how do you deal psychologically with what's going on like you can talk about equipment all day you can talk about your favorite movies you can geek out uh you can talk about you know difficulties on set and trying to make your day but the thing that goes on way more than any of those things is the time in between when you're stressing out about what you're going to do or you didn't get the shot or you're having issues with a particular crew member like talking with people about how they deal with their feelings because this is a very emotional thing to do and everyone tries to put on a brave face and act like no i've got yeah. it all together but it's really not that way at all like it's <laughs> it's physically emotionally and spiritually demanding and i'd really like to hear more people talk about you know, that aspect of the work and dealing with, you know, just the day to day of getting through a project. Yeah. The emotional connection to the the film and the emotional toll it takes on you as an artist, that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, the way you are, the way you change when you come out of a project is, can be pretty dramatic. Like what you felt like, what your mental state was, what your outlook on the world was before and after a project. Like, you know, how did you change from beginning to end of this film that you just made? Or how did you change from when you started to now? How have you grown? How have you changed? How has your outlook, your perception of things yeah. altered from having done it? Yeah. So, like, maybe with uh, our, our first guest, we can do, like, an emotional corner sort of thing. Just, like, you know, talking about, like, like your, you know, emotional connection to the project or how you've changed as a filmmaker from, you know, the start to the end of this film, like, and so forth. Yeah. How, so, did, you, how did you grow? How did you deal with things? You know, what gives you strength? Yeah. What do you look toward to, you know, help you out when you're feeling low? Yeah. All that yeah. kind of stuff. Nice. Awesome, man. Well, it sounds like a, sounds like an interesting topic and it, it's, it's something that like, I think Timothy used to ask questions around that a lot. And I tend not to ask those kinds of questions because I'm more in interested in like the technical and the like more practical um, sort of things. And I don't really talk about like, how did that make you feel when you lost the funding? You know, it's more like, well, what, <laughs> like, what did you do to get the funding when you lost the funding? Like, that's sort of like the way I interpret it, you know? Um, yeah. Like, so yeah, I'd want to know to get. I would want to know what you did to, you know, between the time when you lost it and the time when you were actually actively finding it again, what was going on? Right. How'd you push through that, that, that dark period or whatever? Yeah. Cause every, every single project has problems. Nothing ever goes smoothly, no matter what. So right. what are you doing to push through? Like I, I'm interested in that because the people who I've met who made it are different from the people who are starting out. And I want to know what that difference is. Mm, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I dig it. Uh, cool, man. Well, um, well, hopefully we'll get to do many more of these episodes and we'll get to start asking some of these questions. Uh, I also want to add that you are our first non-California co-host. Every other co-host we've had it lives in California, either in you know the Bay Area or in Los Angeles. And you're the first person not in California. So congratulations. I'm, I'm finally at 40, the first at something. 
Awesome. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think it's interesting to talk to people who are out of um, a major market just because I think the, the, you know, the perspective is different. And I think it's interesting to get different perspectives, um, you know, into these conversations, talking to filmmakers, because, you know, I think when you're in a certain area or a certain type of market, you kind of think of things in a certain way, especially when you're in the West Coast and like we're all so liberal here. I mean, I think it's probably a very different like landscape in Oklahoma, you know. Uh, uh, <laughs> actually, in certain pockets, you'd feel very at home. Okay. Nice. You'd be surprised. Yeah, it's funny. People used to always tell me like Austin is like really liberal and oh, you, you won't notice the difference between Berkeley and Austin or whatever. And then I, I met somebody from Austin and they're like, I was like, yeah, I've heard Austin's like really liberal and relaxed. And he's like, yeah, it's liberal for Texas, but it's not liberal <laughs> for like California, you know? And I was like, oh, I dig that. I might agree with that sentiment, but our state did just pass like the most lenient marijuana law uh, that exists now. So it's, things oh, wow. are changing. Nice. Cool, man. Uh, all right. Well, where can people find you? Where can you get, where can we see your work? Uh, see some of your short films, see what you're up to. Do you have a website, Twitter, uh, all that stuff? Actually, the only thing I have up right now are the things I use for the feature that I'm working on. Um, if people want to take a look at that, they can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, all of them are Locard's principal, L O C A R D S P R I N C I P L E. Um, yeah, that's I. I haven't put up one for myself yet because I don't really feel like I have a lot of stuff I want to show everyone. That's what the right. film is for. So, nice, awesome, cool, man. You uh, ready to do this outro? Can you handle it? I got it, man. All right, sweet. All right, all right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, if you want to check out Making Movies Is Hard, go to makingmoviesishard.com. You can find links to what we talked about on this episode. If you want to get in contact with us, send an email to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. And look for us on Twitter and Facebook at MMIH Podcast. And if you like the show, tell a friend and help us get the word out. And definitely leave a review on iTunes and Stitcher. And man, Ulrich, thank you for having me back, dude. I really enjoyed doing this again. Yeah, dude. Thanks for doing it. And thanks for being honest and coming out on, on uh, you know, your little anonymity <laughs> thing from the previous episode. I thought, you know, when, when you talked about you being willing to do a co an episode, I was like, well, if you agree to, to you know, come out as Alan, uh, then I'm more than happy to do it. And I'm glad that you said yes. Yeah. I'm, uh, well, it's, you know, talking about growth, like sitting around and think about, well, how does this affect me? How does it affect the film? So, you know, it's a growth period. So it's a, it's growth. So yeah. Nice. I was happy to awesome, do it. Man. Sweet. And then one last thing, we are also now on Patreon. We have a Patreon page. If you go to www.patreon.com slash MMIH podcast, you can learn about our Patreon and what we're offering our patrons. So if you dig the show, you listen a lot, uh, support us. And yeah, I mean, I'm going to still do the episode, the podcast anyways, but, um, you know, if I get some support, maybe I can do some extra fun stuff. So awesome. Yeah, definitely. And, and thanks to everyone who's supported us so far. Talk to you guys next week.